Hear now the word of God. See then that you walk circumspectly or accurately, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be under the controlling influence of wine, in which is dissipation, but be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you. And as we come to now this further command on how to say thank you, enable us, O Lord, this is a hard statement for some, for all of us in many ways, to submit. That word is a hard word. Many hate it. Yet you call us to submit to you as Lord, but also submitting to one another in the fear, in your fear. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would do that work in us, that we would be able to hear, receive, trust, and obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, many years ago, I made a statement that said, "Today, in today's world, there are now unacceptable words. Uh, the new law today is he or she. If you don't say it right, you can be arrested. You can lose your job. You can offend without knowing. You must... Use words that the person finds acceptable. True or false? That was something years ago I said, and I look back on that, and how about it today? Is that true today? We can offend without knowing it? What about the things that are now happening with the flag, with statues? Where is the honor to those that have died in our country for our country? Where is the honor of the past? What's going on? Is there an attempt to erase the past? We don't honor those that have gone before us and what they've established in this country, in this world. Here's a tough one. We're called to honor the president. Is that a tough one? He's not honorable, so how do I, why should I honor him? Because God says, honor the king. Honor the governor. Honor those in authority. Why? Because God placed them there. I don't know why or how, but he did. That's a tough one. We're called to honor him. In honoring him, we honor the king of kings. So this text, like I said in the prayer is a difficult one. There's a four-letter word in our, in our society that people hate, and that is obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. Is that in the Bible? 
Is that in the Old Testament? Is that in the New Testament? Honor your father and your mother. What's the promise? That your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Another negative word, like I said in the prayer, is the word submit. Is that hard to do? Is it hard to submit to your boss, to your parents? How about to the police officer that pulls you over, to the judge? I don't know if you've, did you see that one video where that one fellow come flying over the bench and attacked the judge because he didn't like what the judge decided? Did you see that? Is that respecting authority? He's got now, what, seven charges more against him. We live in a lawless society where we don't honor those in authority. And ultimately, we don't honor God. We choose not to submit. It is an offense to be told to. But yet, what does our passage say? Submit or submitting to one another in the fear or the respect or the honor, the reverence of God. That's our text this morning. So I have the outline in the bulletin. The main point is, as those who trust in Christ alone for salvation, we are called to walk worthy of what he has done for us. That's chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's our calling. In contrast to the rebellious world, we are called to walk accurately verse 15 of chapter 5, according to God's revealed will through his holy word. This is accomplished under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit, verse 18, which leads to growth in wisdom and knowledge, joy and thanksgiving from the heart, and mutual edification and service or ministry. So what have we been doing? We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, And uh, if you remember, starting in chapter 4, what's the summary? Walking with Jesus, our great shepherd. Matter of fact, we did a little excursus where we were looking at the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. But what was the key word that I said that those sermons were based around? If anyone was listening, one word begins with a K, ends with a G. King. Jesus is king of kings, Lord of lords. Here we have a continuation. We're coming back to that, the implications of that. Walking with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says in chapters 1 through 3, what is our position if we believe in Jesus? Chapter 2, verse 6, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Do you believe that? Well, no, no, I'm sitting in, seated in Dickinson, North Dakota. Well, that's true too. But positionally, if you are in Christ, Paul says you're in heaven, because he's in heaven, and you're in him. That's your place. If you believe in Jesus, you are in Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then chapter 4, he says, okay, so now walk. Conduct your life in Jesus. Walk following Jesus. That's chapters 4, 
5 and into chapter 6. And then in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, he will then talk about standing with Jesus against the warfare that we face, putting on the whole armor of God, and so on. So again, if you want to summarize the book of Ephesians, three words, sit, walk, stand. Sit, walk, stand. That's the summary of the book. In verse 8 of chapter 5, he brings a contrast between darkness and light. In verse 15 of the book, chapter 5, he brings a contrast of wise and fools, with wise people and fools. And so he leads into, I'm, I'm kind of giving us kind of the context, he's leading into walking in wisdom and walking in the Spirit or being controlled by the Spirit. So, number one, point one, why should we walk in the fear of the Lord because of who he is? What is the foundational principle of wisdom according to Proverbs? For those of you that have read Proverbs and those that you that haven't, you probably know chapter 1, verse 7. What is the foundational principle of all godly wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning, right? The beginning of wisdom. Now, is that a cowering, running away from God like Adam and Eve did in the garden? Is that the fear that is talked about there? Did they fear the Lord at that time? Yes. Is that what he's talking about? No. It's talking about a proper respect, a proper understanding of who he is, honoring him reverencing him, treating him as he is. That's the fear of the Lord. Another way of looking at it is it's walking consistent to what is logical and right. Does that make sense? If he is the Lord, our response is to serve the Lord. That's the right thing to do, to worship the Lord. It's the right, it's the logical thing to do. According to Paul in Romans chapter 12, what does he say after the gospel is presented? Therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is what? Holy, acceptable to God, which is your logical service. Your logic, the logical thing to do is to serve the king of kings. To not serve is the opposite of logic. It's foolishness. You understand? To be wise, the opposite of wisdom is to be foolish. What is foolish? Acting as if the Lord isn't the Lord, but I am. How often do are we foolish? I want my way. Isn't that what sin is? So that's why Paul has been talking about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the second half of that verse, but fools despise knowledge and instruction. So who are you? What are you? Are you wise or are you a fool? That's the question of the day. In Proverbs chapter 9, 
As a matter of fact, the first 10 chapters of Proverbs develop this contrast of wise versus fools. But in Proverbs chapter 9, they use two women. In verse 10, we hear the wise woman, the woman that's wisdom, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and your years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. And then contrasts with the foolish woman in verse 13 and on. So what is the foundational principle of wisdom according to the Bible? It's a proper response to who God is. It's rational. It's right. He's the Lord. You are not. He made you. He owns you. You belong to him. In our text... The fear of the Lord, or some, trans, some uh, manuscripts have the fear of Christ, which actually I like that one better. But the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. In other words, we are to give proper respect and honor to the Lord. I've already said that how many times already? Right? Sometimes people say I repeat myself too much. Is it important to repeat, to, to hear it again and again? Okay. When God writes something three or four times in a verse, is it something important? Yes, it is important. He's the Lord. Jesus is Lord over all things. Paul has already declared that in chapter 1, verse 20. Which he, that is Christ, worked, uh, um, that is God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age it is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He put all things under his feet. What does that mean? Does Jesus own everything? Does he own you? Does he own everything you own? Okay. As creator, he's created us. He's made us his creatures, his covenant servants. We exist to fulfill his purposes. Do you believe that? You only exist because God created you, sustains you, has a purpose for you, loves you, sent his son for you, sends his spirit, is involved with you, has a purpose for you, and so on. My identity is not in myself. My identity is in Christ. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, he's the creator of not just believers, but he's the creator of everyone. Every human is a covenant servant of God. You understand that? That means that if we do not do what the master says, what are we? Are we unprofitable servants? 
How about rebellious servants? If the Lord says, jump, what are we called to do? Say, how high on the way up? Right? To not jump is to be in rebellion. He is our provider. He provides for all mankind. His whole kingdom. That's why we preach the gospel to every creature. Because every creature is under him and they need to repent and believe or perish. So when we talk to a non-Christian, it isn't, well, you get to choose whatever you want. No, no. You are his covenant servant. You're created, you're sustained. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or perish. Is that the gospel? Is that what we are called to share? He provides life and breath and all things. He, is, he has might and he has right to be personally involved with every one of us. And so therefore sin is a personal offense to a holy God. It's a slapping him in the face. And he has a right to punish that. But yet also he's our redeemer. And we are thankful children. We have received the love, the grace, the mercy of God. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul goes into great detail of that. Because of who he is, we are called to walk in respect of him. Secondly, because of who we are in Christ, he is the owner of all things, Psalm 24, and all things owe their existence on him. I think I just said that. Didn't I? But I'm not the only one to say that. The Apostle Paul, when he had opportunity to witness in the most academic, intelligent area of the ancient world, where was Harvard and Oxford and Cambridge during the time of the Apostle Paul? Where did you go to get the greatest education in the world at the time? Anybody? Athens. Paul arrives in Athens. And we read in chapter 17, he is asked to give a dissertation of what he's trying to communicate. And while he's doing so, in chapter 17 of the book of Acts, Paul says... Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I passed through and considered the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in the face of the earth, and has determined their appointed times 
and the boundaries of their dwellings. Imagine that. Here he is against the intelligentsia of the ancient world, and he says, there's only one true God. You're all very religious. You, do, you have all these temples and all these idols and everything. There's only one God. He owns everything. He has determined your life, where you live, what you're doing. He is the owner of all things. Again, in Colossians, in him, all things are held together. Isn't that an amazing thought? Every atom in the universe is held together by Jesus Christ. What, were, what would happen if he let go? The elements would pass away in fervent heat. Is that in the Bible? Thank Jesus that he holds everything together. Not just the whole world, but every atom. Everything is in his hand. Again, his involvement, his providence, it is because of his providence that you've taken that breath you just took a moment ago and the breath you just took now. It's only because of his mercy that you are breathing. That's what the Puritan said. So what should you do with the breath? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But who are we in him? He is the Lord. One, one theologian spoke about it this way. During the creation week, all things, plants, animals, and persons, are appointed to be the covenant servants to obey God's law and to be instruments of his gracious purpose. Thus, everything and everybody is in covenant with God. Isaiah 24, 5, all the inhabitants of the earth have broken the everlasting covenant. The creature, our creator-creature relations is a covenant relationship, a Lord-servant relationship. God is the Lord that in all his relations with the world, he speaks and acts as Lord. And so we are his covenant servants. But yet, we are in Christ, we who believe in Christ, you who believe in Christ, we belong as his beloved, redeemed people. Is that important? Is it important to you that you're loved by the Father? That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son? That Jesus, he says, no greater love is no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. But, but Jesus laid down his life for his enemies, you and I. While we were yet sin, Christ died for us. Who can separate us from that love? Paul says nothing. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the savior of the body. And so, therefore, we confess that Jesus is Lord, right? What does Paul say about that? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart 
God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Do you confess him as Lord? Do you submit to him? Do you desire to serve him? Do you respond to the love of God by loving him, by doing what he commands? Do you honor him? Do you give thanks to him? Verse 20 of our text. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. So one of the ways that we can show the love and faith in Christ is to love one another. Is that in the Bible? Love your neighbor as yourself? Well, here it says, submit to your neighbor. What is he talking about? What does that mean? Submitting to one another in our various callings. Calvin said, where love reigns, mutual service will be rendered. We're called to serve one another, to love one another. My wife is involved with the Amen Food Pantry. And when they talk about the people that they help, they don't call them clients or needy people. They call them neighbors. We're here to help our neighbor. I think that is a great way to describe serving others. You're my neighbor. I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. All my fellow men are my neighbor. Right? Submitting to one another, serving one another, voluntarily yielding in love to others, to God, to his word, to his spirit, to his people. Which one is the hardest to submit to? To his people, right? So I know you, you know me. It's hard to submit when we know each other's faults, right? Like I said, I have a hard time submitting to or honoring President Biden, okay? but he's still the president. You understand what I'm saying? I'm called to honor the office, even if the man is, un, is not honorable. You know what I mean by that? Okay. When the officer pulls you over and is a jerk, you're still called to on, honor the police officer even if he's wrong, right? We're called to honor our parents when we know they're wrong, right? We're called to submit to one another in our various callings. So how? How are, is this to be reflected in our daily lives? What is the structures that God has established? What are the orders, the things that he's done, established? What are the covenant relationships that God has established and calls us to function properly in each one? 
What are they? Number one, generally, love our neighbors. Love all. Respect all. Serve one another. Peter said that, didn't he? Honor all. That's a command. We're called to honor our neighbor. One of the things that I find frightening is the thinking nowadays that I can kill, I can be a terrorist. I don't know if you've heard that. There's more and more young people think it's okay to be a terrorist. You read that? It's okay that to kill another human being. To take the law into my hands and to kill another human being. I have a right. They don't have the honor of being created in the image of God because of what they did. True or false? You seen it? Well, I, I play these video games and I'm shooting up and killing all these people and then I go out and do it in real life. Because we don't have that concept that God has created that person in the image of God. I think of Hamas, right? You know the word Hamas means violence? Did you know that? That, that Arabic word Hamas means violence? Does it fit? They went out and killed 1,200 people and they gloried in it? They weren't killing people created in the image of God. They were killing what? Trash, enemy, those that need to be exterminated. They have no value. Infidels. Loss of the honor that God has placed on every human being. Every human being is created in the image of God, reflects the image of God. And we're called to honor the image of God in that person. How are you doing? He will go on, and we'll be looking at that in the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 to give some examples. Number one, marriage. Notice in verse 22, the next verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Oh, that's a horrible thing to say, Paul. I saw a meme recently that said Pope, the Pope has excommunicated the Apostle Paul for that statement. It doesn't fit with the narrative today. I had a wedding that I went to, and they voided the word submit in the vows because it's too offensive. But it's in the Bible. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Marriage points to Christ and his church, which is what everything is all about anyways, right? We all exist. This whole thing is what Paul says is about the church, about Christ and the church. And marriage is a picture of that. He goes on to children, chapter five, 6, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So children, honor your parents. 
even when they're wrong. Respect them. Examples, household, family, also employment. Verse 5 of chapter 6. Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. That is interesting. The person I work for ultimately will give an answer to Christ for his management of my time. Submit. He doesn't cover civil government in this book, in this letter, but he does in other places like Romans 13. And again, he doesn't mention the church per se and church government, but that's he does in many places. So these are examples. So how do I reflect in my daily life? Love God. Thank God. Respond to God's grace, what Jesus has done for us. Love my neighbor, who's created in the image of God. Care about them. We're going to have someone come up and speak about ways of doing that in the announcement time. Love my neighbor as myself. Submit to those in authority. Actually, it says, our text says what? Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Honoring one another. Once more, Calvin said concerning this text, God has bound us so strongly to each other that no man ought to endeavor to avoid subjection. And where love reigns, mutual services will be rendered. Catch that? Where love reigns, mutual service to one another will be rendered. But then he says, but as nothing is more irksome to the mind of man than this mutual submission, he directs us to fear the fear of Christ, who alone can subdue our fierceness, that we may not refuse the yoke, and can humble our pride, that we may not be ashamed of serving our neighbors. Interestingly. It's irksome to mankind to submit. Like I said to you years ago, I walked by a couple of young ladies talking, and, and one said to the other, I will never submit to a man. My eyes, I just kept walking. I didn't say anything I wanted to, and I'm going, okay, we've got some education that's going to go on with this person in time. She's now married and has children, and See what anyways. Nothing is more irksome to the mind of man than the mutual subjection. But what does he say? Christ humbles us. Christ loves us enough to humble us. So We're called to respect and honor Christ. We're called to love the brethren and to serve one another. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you. We thank you first and foremost that our Lord Jesus Christ became obedient to the point of death.
because he became a servant. And as he said, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your service so long ago and for your service even today as you reign at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and that you are ruling uh, us, you're ruling all things. All authority has already been given to you in heaven and on earth, and you reign. And so we do bow the knee. We do confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We do so willingly now, knowing that someday all wills do so, willing or unwilling. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would enable us to, again, appreciate what you have done for us, what you are doing for us, what you will do, and that our response, our thankful response, would be to submit to you and to one another in the fear of God. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.